0: Good morning. How you guys doing today? Over the last month, we have been talking a lot about just being in the presence of God. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? It's an invitation for all of us. God invites us into his presence. But so often we have so many distractions that get in the way of us really truly truly entering in in such a way that is just pure and So we need to pray that those distractions are are gone. And then once we're actually in the presence of God, so many incredible things can happen. It can be a really sweet time of fellowship with God. It can be a really hard time of wrestling sometimes when we're in the presence of God. But the guarantee we saw last week is that when we enter the presence of God, in one way or another, our life will be different. Our life will be altered. We will be changed because of Our sitting in the presence of God. We're gonna continue to talk just briefly this morning about that. One thing we haven't addressed yet, though, is the fact that we even get to be in the presence of God. We've talked a lot about being in the presence of God, but the fact that we're even really allowed to be in his presence. So I wanna talk about that just a little bit this morning and give us a little bit more weight behind us taking communion here in just a few short minutes. So if you guys do have a Bible, go ahead and go to Leviticus chapter 16. And Leviticus chapter 16, we're not gonna read the whole chapter in its entirety because it's a pretty long chapter, but I'm gonna read some bits and pieces of this chapter because what I want you to see is I want you to see just what it took. This is the Lord instituting the Day of Atonement uh, sacrificial system that he, that he gave to Israel. And really, it's down to the detail of what to wear, how to behave, what to bring before, when to enter, when not to enter, who can, who can't, all that kind of stuff. So I want you to see just really the depth of, of what it took to enter into the presence of God. So Leviticus chapter 16, again, I'm gonna jump around just a little bit, but I want you just to get an idea of what it must have been like. So in verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house." Skip to verse eight, and Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. Verse nine, and Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. Verse 11, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Verse 19. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And skip to verse 29, this is key. Uh, And in it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work Either of the native or of either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Now we skipped quite a bit of that chapter, but if you were to go back and read the parts that we skipped, it's just more things that needed to be done in order to take care of the sins of Israel to enter into the presence of God and atone by the the sacrifice of an animal for the sins. Uh, of Israel. And this this is what God required of his people to enter into his presence. This is what had to be done in order to enter into his presence. Now, I want to explain kind of what the temple looks like and we'll get to why in just a second. So you have the large the largest part of the temple, the main kind of center room was called the holy place. Outside of the holy place was the outer courts, and there was a veil that divided the outer courts and the holy place, which was the larger gathering area. Then there was another curtain, another veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of places, or the holy of holies. So you had kind of three segments to the temple. You had the outer courts, veil, the main holy place, veil, and then you had the holy of holies. And this is kind of how it was broken up. In the early days of Israel's history, in the innermost sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, which is where, if you know anything about that, the mercy seat and the cherubim between the wings, and this is where they believed that God would dwell, and the Ark inside of it, it was the two tablets that God had given to Moses with the laws, and so they kept the tablets and the Ark. The Ark was kept in the Holy of Holies, a very, very sacred place. Here's what James Montgomery Boyce says, a commentator. He says, The ark was a picture of judgment, for the righteous, holy God of the universe looked down on the law, knew that it had been broken, and that he had to punish the people for their sin. When blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement, however, coming between God and the law that had been broken, the act indicated that an atonement for sin had been made, illustrating grace. An innocent victim, the animal, had died in the people's place, and rather than pouring forth wrath, God was now able to show mercy and grace to the people. But this had to be done every single year, and it had to be done by only one person, the high priest, um, and he was the only one that was allowed in once a year to the presence of God. That's it. Nobody else was allowed to enter into his presence. So now I want you to go ahead and turn over to Matthew 27. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 27 and we're gonna switch gears a bit it's obviously all going to connect, but Matthew 27, we come to the end of Jesus' life, really the very, very end of his life, and in chapter 27, verse 45, we find Jesus on the cross, and he's in his final moments. So he's, he has gone through the day of, of torture and beating and mockery, and now he's on the cross, and he's getting ready to breathe his last. And so you see in verse 45 of chapter 27 of Matthew, here's what it says. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemas sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. So in the moment that he dies, here's what happens in verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. So remember, this curtain, this veil, that divided the holy place and the holy of holies, this made a massive statement to the nation of Israel and anyone that was able to enter into the temple. What it was saying is, you can come this far, but you can't go any further. In fact, it said in the Old Testament that if anyone enters the Holy of Holies that isn't the high priest, you're pretty much just gonna die right away. Like you're not allowed to go past the curtain. So what happens in the moment that Jesus dies is that this thing is ripped from top to bottom. It's because of Jesus then that we are invited into God's presence. So this thing is, this thing is torn into, and by the way, top to bottom would be near impossible from the bottom. You could maybe get like, you know, the A-team or something, or I don't know, and you're ripping it, but top to bottom, it's a pretty tall curtain, so it, for it to just rip supernaturally like that, uh, also, it, it was 3 o'clock p.m., so the, um, the religious leaders, there in the temple offering sacrifices, and they see this thing happen, so it's a pretty huge event, so this thing tears into, so the, the barrier that was between man and God is now no longer there, and it's because of what Jesus did, so he's, he's tortured, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's spat upon, he's pierced. But at at noon, here's here's what I want to get at now. At noon, something even worse than all of that happened, worse than all the the physical pain he had gone through, something far worse happens to Jesus. And that is that God the Father turned his back on his own son. And that perfect communion that they had shared from eternities past eternity passed. one eternity, uh, the communion, the fellowship that they shared is now broken. And so even Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? God turns his back and at that point begins to bear the hell of punishment and of separation. And it was an absolutely indescribable uh, abandonment. So in that moment, when Jesus goes through that, right? The physical pain, yes. But then God seemingly forsaking him in that moment and him offering up his spirit and dying and bearing the sins of not just the world then and before, but for all eternity to come. He bore the sins of the world, that the hell, the punishment, uh, the consequence that, that we are meant to bear. He bears that. And in that moment, the veil is torn and now we have access to God the Father. So the reason why we get to enter into God's presence is because of what Jesus did. So don't miss that. Yes, we talk a lot about entering into the presence of God and being in the presence of God and having sweet fellowship and communion in the presence of God and wrestling with God and having him speak to us in his presence, but it's only because of what Jesus did that we're even allowed to enter into his presence because before Jesus, we wouldn't have been allowed to. So because of Jesus, because of what he went through, we are now able to enter into his presence. As a confirmation of that, as an affirmation of that, in Hebrews chapter 9, 25 through 28, here's what it says. This is the writer talking about Jesus. Now he's entered into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, For then, talking of Jesus, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment in Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus died once for all. And because of that sacrifice, we now can enter into the presence of God. Now, we are, um, we are about to move into a time of communion together. We are about to uh, partake of the elements. And I don't want this, uh, I, don't, I don't want us to miss why we do this. I don't want us to miss the opportunity that we have in the next few moments to really enter into the presence of God. We don't want to just be a church that talks about things, we want to be a church that practices things. And that begins, of course, uh, with with the leadership and moving on down, and we want to, we want to model things for you, we want to, we want to show you guys um, as leaders of the church how to live in a certain way, but you guys are the church as much as we are the church, and so we want to enter into the presence of God together. So yes, we can talk about it, but we as a congregation, we want to be about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes here really um, inquiring reflection, about three minutes or so of quiet reflection, just your own personal time between you and God. And uh, these tables are going to be empty for now, so don't worry about coming to the tables yet. But what I want you to do is I want you to to think back on on what we've talked about over this last month and think about the the main ideas of being in the presence of God. Maybe maybe you have some barriers that are in the way. Maybe you have some things that you just can't seem to to get off of your shoulders. You have things that you can't seem to get out of the way, things that are just distractions in your life, things that are taking up too much time, things that have become idols, things that seem out of your control that are just in the way. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to just spend the next few moments begging God to remove those things from your life, begging the Spirit to infiltrate your, your, your soul and just completely get rid of anything that gets in the way of you having that fellowship with God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have something to wrestle with God about. Maybe you have something that is, has been really, really difficult in your life and you have just been waiting and expecting the blessing, but it hasn't come yet. Maybe that's you and you're like, God, I continue to fight, I continue to wrestle, I continue to push, but things don't seem to be happening. So maybe you need to spend the next few minutes just wrestling with God. Uh, Maybe you need to spend the next few minutes silent listening to God. Maybe you just need to sit and just go, God, you know what, I I just don't know if I really sense your presence lately in my life and I wanna wanna feel that, I wanna sense it, I wanna know that you're real. So maybe you just sit quietly and you just ask God to speak to you and you just sit and let him just, just speak. And why this is important for us before we enter into communion together is because we want to enter communion with everything taken care of, right? We want to enter into communion with nothing in the way of us coming before and remembering what Jesus did. We want to come to communion with, with a pure mind and a pure heart and clean hands. We want, to, we want to make sure we take care of our business with God before we come. So whatever it is that's in your life that you need to spend some time just in quiet reflection, let me go ahead and pray for you. And then when I'm done praying, just spend two, three minutes just in quiet reflection, whatever it is you need to take care of with God. And we're going to do that entering into his presence together. So God, thank you for today. And thank you for the fact that you have torn the veil in two so that we have direct access to you. We don't need to to count on anybody else to go, before you. We don't need a high priest to go before you, uh, uh, an earthly high priest to go before you. We already have an eternal high priest that has gone and, and continues to go before us with you. So we don't need someone to go into your presence on our behalf. We can do that ourselves. And, and we don't need a, a rituals or we don't need sacrifices. God, you were the ultimate sacrifice through your son. And so I thank you for that. I thank you that we can enter your presence. So God, I pray that we would not miss this moment, but that we would spend a few minutes really, really, really trying to listen to you. God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would use your spirit to convict. I pray that you would encourage. I pray that you would give clarity where clarity is needed. God, I pray that you would just show up in the lives of our church, your church here this morning, and that we would have a sweet time after reflection of communion together and then prayer as we enter into a time of prayer together. So God, thank you that we can come into your presence. It is a privilege. We don't deserve it, but yet you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die on our behalf so that we could. So God, thank you so much for that. In your son's name, amen.